0: Welcome to the Maximum Theater and Performance Podcast. This is Jose Solis. 77 years after Orson Welles scared the shit out of America with his broadcast of Four of the Worlds, radio plays are back. They're stronger than ever. Some of the finest playwrights creating original podcast dramas. Today we speak to Mac Rogers and Jordana Williams, the writer-director team behind Steal the Stars, a new radio play by Tor Labs about love and the secrets government officials keep hidden in bunkers. Enjoy the show. Thank you both for being here. Thank you for having us. Delighted to be here. So, I mean, we were just talking about Vulcan and Klingon and all that weird stuff. So I just wanted to start by, by asking, I, you know, to the so far I've listened to the two episodes of the podcast that have been released. Okay, cool. So in terms of language, if you could do, like, alien languages or whatever, would you want to try that, I
1: guess, at any point? Well, I've always had to write scripts under... Um either due to when the deal came together or due to my own procrastination. I've always had to write scripts in such a blinding hurry that I've never had the time to do like a more fully fleshed out uh, uh, kind of like world building thing that would involve a language or something like that. I I definitely dream of a day somewhere down the road where like I have like, like a luxurious development time period on a script or maybe something like that could be really cool. I remember a friend of mine came to see, um, you know, came to see the Honeycomb trilogy in 2015 and um, he was. We were. He came to do one of those marathon days where he saw the entire show. And at intermission, um, he was talking to me. He said, "You know," he said, "You know one thing. I will say. He said it is a little weird. He's got this whole trilogy." Said in Florida, and he said, you have almost no Latinos in this show. He said, shouldn't people, some people be speaking Spanish after the, uh, after the, um, after the, the, the alien race takes over the world? And I was like, and I suddenly realized, oh my gosh, that would be such an amazing thing if, <laughs> if, if like, if after the alien takeover, if, if sort of, there was like a kind of a sort of like whether it was a Spanish or sort of a mixed language, uh, because it would naturally, because there would no longer be there'd be so many English and Spanish speaking people in Florida under the alien takeover, there wouldn't be any uh, schools mandating a particular like national language and like the natural way that language would evolve under under a circumstance like that would be, you know, would be really interesting to be able to explore. But like I said, everything I've ever written in my life, I've written in a, in a complete headlong hurry, and have just barely been able to knock out the narrative, uh, and then other folks have to help me with the world building later.
2: Although actually, we did have a little bit of another language in the Honeycomb Trilogy, the hands language that the aliens used, which we basically—I have a friend who's an ASL interpreter, so. I had her translate um, those lines into ASL and then we adapted it for claws. So so we were like, if if you instead of having five fingers, if you only had like claw hands, what would be the claw version of this ASL? And so there there was very mm-hmm. little of it, but, there, that
1: was sort of sort of another language, and uh, that would be a fun thing to have, you know, uh, uh, that, that you know, in, a, in sort of an expanded version of that, where you had more communication. We were only able to have, you know, the insects uh, p- uh, very briefly be outside the window because of the limitations of it being a play. But that would definitely have been a cool thing to to have had more of uh, uh, under other circumstances.
0: I mean, I'm not sure if I even want to ask this question because uh-huh. I don't I don't want any spoilers, but. Listening to 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 the podcast, should I call it a podcast? But I a radio play. A, a podcast, radio okay. play, I, it's all good. Okay, uh, listening to the radio play, I keep thinking, oh my god, what if we have like some like crazy like Mac Rogers universe in store where all of these things are gonna like blend into each other? And what if like the cockroach people, uh, <laughs> or the bee people, or the you know the bug people suddenly show up and steal the stars? And I kind of think. So, are you working towards something like that?
1: Well, the big problem I have as a writer in terms of doing shared universe type stuff is that so much of so many of the scripts I've written have had uh, sort of apocalyptic things happen, <laughs> and they've had kind of different apocalyptic things happen that would kind of mutually cancel each other out. Um, so that they, uh, 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 so it's been very, it would be very hard, for example, to mesh the Universal Robots universe with the um, Honeycomb Trilogy universe because they have two massive uh, paradigm-shifting events happen to the world in completely different times, and they wouldn't have. So that's, I've, I've always, because I've always enjoyed shared universes, and the first time I, I've been able to indulge in that uh, uh, in my adult life, I, I, I had some recurring characters in my college plays, but in my adult life, the first time I was actually able to do that was on the first two audio dramas uh, that I wrote for uh, for Panoply and GE the last couple of years, The Message and Life After, just as sort of an inside joke to myself, I um, I had some of the characters in the second drama, Life After, make reference to the events of The Message and to some characters in The Message, just for fun, just as a fun little thing to myself. I thought, you know, nobody else, this isn't gonna mean anything to anybody else. Well, a thing I definitely discovered, um, when sort of tracking the reaction to the story online, is that actually does mean a lot to a lot of people who are fans who are listening closely or whatever. I remember there was a big Tumblr post where that the, I searched for the show on Tumblr, the, the headline of the blog post was confirmed with an exclamation point and I read down, it's like, is it is now officially confirmed that life after the message take place in the same universe. And I was like, oh man, I felt bad because like, I was like, I just did that as like a lark all by myself and from this person is just like had a dear, A dear theory that's so really important to their heart that they're like, they're like vindicated. (laughs) uh, uh, But I was like, okay, people take shared universes seriously, and it's definitely something I should consider in the future in terms of writing. Hmm.
0: And I was, uh, I mean, maybe I'm being presumptuous, but I'm assuming that the writing process for you, Mac, is the same whether you're doing a radio play or a play or a television pilot or a movie or whatever. But for you, Jordana, like when you get the words on paper or a computer or I don't know, like, I, I don't know, you know, the, just the word director's vision mm-hmm. becomes something different when you have to listen to that yeah. vision. So what's it like for you to translate the script into an audio play?
2: Certain things are similar. Um, it just so happens that when I'm in a casting process, especially if I'm having a hard time making that final casting decision is I will read through the script one more time and envision a couple different actors voices. Uh, saying those lines and the one that sort of clicks in for me, the one that I can most easily envision saying the lines like that is how the decision is made. So the f- casting for this was pretty easy in a way, because I would just, you know, I'd read the script and I would hear these voices. Um, and then the one thing that I had to learn to do um, was to close my eyes in the room with <laughs> the actors. Cause the first day or so, um, you know, they're very charming people, and they're, you know, making charming faces. And I had to make sure that I wasn't letting any of that sell the story or give me information um, to, to make sure that everything that I, I needed was coming through just through the sound.
0: Hmm. I never thought about that. Yeah.
1: <laughs> now I'm going to be thinking what yeah. <laughs> <thing is> about the <laughs> It is really, there are things that I had no idea about. Our our, our sound designer is someone who's been working for many years, and he kept sort of saying, let's... Um, He kept sort of uh, advocating for physicalization of certain things that i didn't think would matter in an audio but then they totally come through it's the weirdest thing it's like you can hear if an actor is smiling i would have thought that was just like mumbo jumbo that was nonsense but no you and you and and people do if the two characters are lying down and you and you go to some trouble to rig the microphones to record them lying down it is a a different sound people sound different when they're lying down uh which and so there is a lot of value to there, to
2: like a little bit of staging, and I feel like the actors really appreciated it. When the more kind of staged a setup was, the more it anchored them in what was happening. And actually, um, Ashley Atkinson, who plays our lead, she had this hammer that she liked to hold when she when the scene required her to be tough. <laughs> there was, there was this hammer that she would pick up, and she wouldn't do anything with it, but just having the hammer in her hand <laughs> made her feel stronger. Um, and it was just this, this hilarious little thing that happened.
1: And it's such a funny thing because we were the our setup, you know, basically converted a part of uh, Jordan and Sean's house into like the studio so like I couldn't um, the way it was set up we didn't have like one of those studios with like the special soundproof glass or whatever i didn't know about the hammer until like last week when we were just tweaking a scene that we wanted. and i actually got to sit in the room with the actors the whole entire rest of the recording process i was outside the room listening on headphones just trying to see how well the scene was coming across audibly i they we spent a month recording and i didn't know about the hammer because i was in the other room but those sorts of things it's really weird those little visual cues inside the studio environment as Jordana says like the uh, feed directly into different t- tones and timbers of the voice that like come across uh, uh, in really articulate ways for the listener later on. Right.
0: Uh, I'm not, I don't want to put you guys in like some sort of like existential crisis mode <laughs> right now, but I've always thought about you as theater makers. But, mm-hmm. you know, listening to Steal the Stars, I'm like, no, they're storytellers. So if you had to put either theater makers or storytellers on a business card, what no, would it be? Mm.
1: Are you, uh, you to go first, or?
2: I mean, it's it's a little bit the same way I approach every play. Like I don't have a like a major directorial stamp that's like you would like if you walked into a show, you wouldn't necessarily know that I directed it because I did it like my way. Any script I read, I think, what does this need? Um, what does this story need? Uh, how does it use the space we have? How does it? You know, like so i I react to the circumstances at hand, so in, in a way it's all kind of the same, like you know um how is the audience set up, how large is the space like you know all of those things go into how we make the play, how we tell the story so um both can I say both
1: That's <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> <sure. laughs> uh, interesting what you think is like um I guess, I guess if I had to put one word on the card, I would probably put storyteller because I've been trying to expand into writing for lots of different kinds of, uh, of, of media over the last couple of years. It was, it was almost exclusively plays for about, I mean, close to 15 years. Um, and probably, who knows? I, I haven't done enough of the other stuff to be able to say for sure, but probably theater is my favorite. Probably theater is the closest to my heart, you know, uh, because I sort of fell really swooningly in love with listening to and writing for audio drama over the past couple of years. But then um, uh, Jordana and I and, and our colleague Becky Comtois, we did a little play earlier this year, and uh, we just, we just a couple of us, and, and in the process of doing it, um, I was reminded that I was like, oh, there's something I just elementally love about theater. There's something I just uh, uh, love at a visceral level about waiting backstage slightly terrified to walk on and start the show and talking to to people after the show. There's probably something about that that I will always kind of love the most in the way that sort of like if you discover a thing at a certain time in your life, it imprints upon you. Um, But that doesn't mean that uh, writing in any of the other forms feels in any way to me... um, uh, either experimental or mercenary or anything like hmm. that. I do f- have, I do find genuine creative joy in writing for other art forms, and I have a real particular thrill in thinking about how to suit each story to the advantages and the limitations of each of each uh, art form. Um, uh, and particularly in the in the in the process of writing for audio, is like how can this story be optimized for sound? How can I set aside my theatrical instincts, which are always always try to find a way to tell the scene using an entire human body Tr- always try to think of ways that human bodies can make interesting shapes on the stage that's what you're always thinking as a playwright uh, you've completely set that aside the the trick I have so far with audio is is uh, think about whispering a story in someone's ear think about it is or, or, or tell or leaning close to someone's ear in a bar with his music playing or whatever and telling them a story um, that the dialogue needs to be remixed with that image inside your mind because it it is a different medium. And you're always trying to think of sounds that can orient people to where we are in the scene. And you're always trying to think of setting scenes in different rooms that have totally different room tones from each other. In this one, as you hear, you know, uh, we'll have like a we'll have like a confined, intimate, uncomfortable scene on an elevator, immediately followed by a big, vast public scene in an underground bunker. Um, it was something I learned from the director of the previous audio I worked on. It was a guy named John Dryden who's been making audio drama for the BBC for many years. Uh, something he said to me about that podcast because way too much of it was set in office rooms, and he said, you know, you really should think about trying to alternate the scenes to be in as many different kinds of audio environments as possible. The human ear likes variants of texture. Um, uh, uh, And uh, so on this one I hoped to really try to take the opportunity to make that course correction as much as possible. So that's a big part of the fun of it. I think I'll probably always like theater best, but I definitely love making that adjustment to thinking how other forms work and how to optimize the writing to those forms.
0: Because the the podcast at some point will become a book, right? There's, Correct, there, yes. Yeah. Novelized by Nat Cassidy, yeah. Right. So I was thinking, um, and I'm always thinking like way ahead, it's probably way too ahead into the future. I was thinking, so if the radio play will become a book, will this book also become a play at some point? <laughs> right. And how, you know, how would the structure change? Because when you're doing episodes every week, mm-hmm. It, they're not intermissions per se they're like you know like week long intermissions yeah and it's
2: it would be a lot of cliffhangers for all one play true um and it's also i mean it's it's the it's almost 7 hours of audio so that would be that would be a lot uh for a play
1: yeah for this to be a play it would definitely have to be heavily reimagined First of all, you'd have to know a lot about what kind of production you had and what sort of resources you had with your command. It's interesting. You know, I've been in conversations with people about, like, the possibility of adapting the Honeycomb Trilogy to other forms uh, because a lot of people see it and go, oh, yeah, of course, aliens taking over the world with all this stuff. This, is, this could totally be a movie or a TV show. But it's actually way harder than it looks because we had a lengthy development process with the Honeycomb Trilogy. Uh, I wrote it over the course of, like, two years. Uh, Jordan and I talked about it a lot. Sean Sh- Sh- and I talked about it a lot. There, a bit, there were a lot of decisions that were made A lot of the creative decisions were based around how can we keep bringing the events of the story into this one room.
2: Like the central joke of the whole thing is that it's a living room play. It's all all the same (laughs) living room. It just happens to be, you know, it's actually a living room and then it's a war zone and then it's a courtroom. Um, but yeah, it's it's a it's a very American Style. living room yeah. play, yeah. And
1: we knew we we knew that we didn't want to try to marshal the resources uh, or the time and and sort of man hours of like doing lots of set changes. We knew that we could tell the best story with our resources with a single set show. So feeding into that needed to become how can we make the drama come onto the stage? How can we make the scenes not be about people walking in going, oh man, that thing we just came from was amazing. You know, like you want to avoid that as much as possible in theater. Uh, so like a, 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 a stage version of, of Steal the Stars would need to be, you know, first thing would be like, okay, would this be like a big scene changing thing? That would be one approach. Or would you want to try to like, rework it around a single location? It would involve a radical reimagining of the story. I feel like you always can do stuff like that. But it is very tricky and it, like um, it and definitely the more you try to embrace the techniques of a particular medium, the harder it is to transfer into another medium. Um, uh, so like you definitely want to do that, but like definitely you are making possible adaptation way harder on yourself down the road.
2: But I think that indie theater teaches you to fall in love with constraints because that becomes mm-hmm the the rule for how you make this story Um, because you don't have the budget to do big fancy stuff so you have to choose Um, and the act of choosing means that you go with the thing that's most appropriate and necessary to the story which is kind of what you should do anyway Mm -hmm. Um, it's just what we were kind of raised on we had no choice
1: yeah exactly yeah never thought about it any other way people go oh you know you could do a you could do a tv show the honeycomb trilogy uh, uh and people could leave the house all the time and goes and I was like and and when I when I, when I pictured that I'm like I honestly don't know how that works exactly <laughs> because every every single creative decision was how do we get things into that living room um and so yeah it's 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 it's, it's an interesting it's an interesting process maybe perhaps something like that will happen some point it is cool that that we have this novelization that Nat, that Nat is writing um and I'm reading the in the process of reading the final uh, draft of it now and uh what's really cool is like uh, he is largely following the story of the podcast it's largely faithfully following the plot points but there's a lot of texture to it and a lot of inner life and a lot of like kind of linguistic uh, explorations of the story that are very mad so i actually totally believe that people who listen to the listen to the podcast and read the book will actually kind of get to related but different experiences mm. I have to
0: say that one of my favorite things, and this sounds insane now that I'm saying it, out loud, one of my favorite things uh, in the podcast so far is when you do the ads.
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's great to
0: hear. Yeah. I imagine you're like, you know, like, I love Lucy style, like in black and white. <laughs> um,
1: yeah, for sure, yeah.
0: So, you know, what uh, traits or what amazing things have you borrowed from Radio Place and you've brought into, you know, uh, 3D, I guess, or <laughs> r- real life, real people uh, theater, live action theater. Well, I don't even know what they're right. I'm confused with other terms. Uh, yeah, which, what, what traits have you brought from each of the uh, two different worlds and used for th- in the, the other one?
2: I think the um, intimacy of the kind of theater that we do was maybe the best preparation for this. Um, and then uh, there is a theatrical thing that we did that I think really suits the radio plays, and that's uh, a few for, for I think, three years in a row, we did the Vampire Cowboys Saturday Night Saloon, (laughs) which is this monthly thing. uh, Six different companies I think are each supposed to present the next ten minutes of a play. It was never ten minutes. It was usually more like fifteen or twenty. But Mac got really good at writing cliffhangers from that. And it was, you know, it was a drunk audience, late at night, <laughs> and if it wasn't punchy and exciting, they weren't gonna stay with you. Um, so I, I, I feel like that kind of radio play structure, Mac a little bit learned in, in theater. Definitely, yeah. Um, but also just, if an actor isn't honest, you're gonna tell it in a small theater, but you're you're definitely gonna tell it when it's an earbud in your ear and that person's talking right to you. So I think um, wor- that creating performances that work in a small room is is pretty similar, actually, to, to creating um, audio performances that feel true.
1: Basically, um, yeah, Jornet is totally right that, like, that Black Box Theater and audio have kind of a truth serum effect if you screw up it like it, it's writ large in a way because you're in such close contact with the audience i remember back when i was a volunteer at manhattan theater source we um uh which is a very small theater it was, it was a two-story building but the theater itself was very small and we had some kids visiting for uh they were like on they've been coming from active duty they were part of like a soldier's choir that went around like performing like songs for a, a different uh, bases and stadiums and they would perform for giant numbers of of, of soldiers in different uh, uh, locations around the world. And he walked into the Manhattan Theatre Source Theater. Where I was just hanging out, like, sort of showing him around, and he's like, "I'd be terrified to do a play in here." I was like, "Really? because like, I'd be terrified to walk on this in, into a stadium full of people waiting for me." And he said, "No, he said, if I messed up in here, you'd know it immediately." And it's that terrifying, Is um, and I think radio has that. I think we were prepared for that very narrow margin of error uh, uh, coming from Black box theater, uh, of knowing that like uh, you can't sort of, Fake your way through it. Uh, uh, you need the technique, but you also need the authenticity because you're essentially right next to the person. And audio takes that about as far as it can go because your line deliveries are going straight into someone's ears. You're like you're really right next to the audience uh, in that interaction, even though it doesn't happen directly. So I, that was definitely, uh, Jordan is absolutely right. That is definitely a useful technique we brought in from theater.
0: That's really, fa- I never thought about that. That's really fascinating. Uh, I cannot say that I grew up listening to radio. Like, I, I don't think I even know how to find <laughs> music on a radio or <laughs> or, or radio place. But one of my favorite things is, uh, for instance, in the uh, Criterion Collection DVDs and Blu-rays, when they sometimes have audio versions they used to do of all these classic movies, and mm-hmm. like, things like Rebecca and Casablanca had audio versions besides being movies themselves. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's insane so uh in fact like one of my all-time favorite nerdy movie buff uh pieces of trivia to to bring up is i'm not sure if you guys know this but citizen kane was filmed in a way that you can listen to it without the uh images and it works as a radio play you can still follow the story yeah that's amazing that is incredible because wells came from radio Mm -hmm. right so have you guys ever thought about 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 doing something like this, I guess, to uh to elements of how to tell the stories intertwined with the different mediums mm-hmm. and you're like trying to create this holistic experience?
2: We did something a few years ago that reminds me of that a little bit. There's a comic book called Kill Shakespeare. Um, and those guys had created uh, like a giant PowerPoint presentation of all the different um, like animation cells or like, you know, comic book panels from Kill Shakespeare. And uh, they gave us the rights to do a a reading with live foley, while the comic book flashed up along with it. It's one of the most fun things we've ever done because foley is really goofy. Like the (laughs) stuff that you used, you know, it's like a a Cheetos bag that you're um, you're like rustling in your hand to make the sound of a fire, and the battle scene was like, (laughs) you know, people hitting like whisks and spoons on pots and pans and whatever so you see the images so you know what the story is supposed to be but you see also the actors kind of goofily making it happen while they're doing the performances at the same time and that was really fun yeah that was great
1: yeah that was a really good Um, experience in in a sense there was a a fun visual component to it like says. but you could have also closed your eyes and had and had a blast as well at that performance yeah that's incredible
0: so what's your favorite thing that you've used for for folly so far
2: um, like the most random pieces. Um, my my favorite is um, not really because it was all that wild to do, uh, but just because it was Mac. But there was there's a scene when Dak falls in bed and Mac for some actually wasn't there or something. So Mac was the one. Oh, yeah. Who, who was so he just fell on our couch over and over again. <laughs> I
1: was thinking surprisingly like what if I was a little kid I wouldn't have thought anything about it when I was a little kid I just flung my body into different places you know I I could have done that falling on the couch thing a million times but like I was like I'm, I'm, I'm 42 now it's like my, my body's like old and full of pains or whatever <laughs> like I actually found it to be like slightly unnerving to just like f- flop but good but the script is very specific it's like I flop down on my bed and sleep for whatever hours whatever she just had a big trying experience uh, And so I was like okay she's totally falling on the bed in an unprotected way I can't do this in like three steps you could they need they needed the sound of the body going smack and uh, Jordana made sure to get video of that just because I'm a uniquely ungainly person and uh, I think I even (laughs) took it slow motion Oh (laughs) 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 because but I I never quite got the courage though not to stick a hand out first Uh, uh, like I did I did slightly catch myself a little bit on, on my hand but hopefully that didn't get picked up on the sound Uh, but mostly we had to have that sound of the whole body going flump at the same time so that would that was a that was a fun piece of foley though for me perhaps a little more fun in retrospect (laughs) i was very scared on the day
2: oh and we also did we used my kids cello as part of the basis for the harp sound um it's obviously distorted it on a lot of things that have been done to it but um but that that was part of uh, what it built from
0: yeah, because I mean, we all know that like the famous sound effects, like the whoosh, whoosh. That, that's my <laughs> best Star Wars. <laughs> that's everything. Sort of <laughs> but ha- as you know, as the fact that you guys worked in um, seal the Stars* made you more aware of sounds that maybe you don't listen to, or you're not that aware of, like in your daily lives. I mean, like uh, a, a cup, mm-hmm. or like how your phone sounds when you pick
1: it up, yeah. that kind of thing. Something. um that both uh, the sound designer on my previous project, Life After, was, uh, who came over with the director, British guy named Steve Bond, uh, was really brilliant. And then our sound designer on this show, uh, uh, Bart Fassbender, um, have both made a lot of have really heavily emphasized something that I think we all don't like consciously think about that much, which is room tone. Uh, every room has kind of a sound tone to it. Like in this room, it'd be partly defined by I guess like a fan or an AC or something like that. And but the r- rooms rooms have a, a kind of a steady kind of a soundscape to them that just kind of goes on all the time, whether it's in, uh, uh, based on, and, and, and that uh, you, it's, a, it's one of the fastest ways to quickly immerse the listener in a new location. If the next scene is a totally different location, you need to, like a, a big giant room will have a different room tone than, uh, uh, than a very small room. And, uh, uh, or, 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 or if you're outside, uh, or if you're in a car, or if you're in a plane, or something like that. And, um, and it's like what I was saying before, that there's something, I think, that rewards the human ear if you change up room tone, if you vary room tone throughout the story. So a big part of what went into writing this one was thinking, okay, how can we keep from, it's, it's sort of like sleeping, on, sleep, sleeping one way all night, The human body, a lot of human bodies don't want to do that. You want to move a little bit because you've put pressure on one part of your body for too long. So you want to like distribute it by moving around. Um, So uh, uh, the human ear wants that variety. So in this one, I was thinking like, okay, we're going to have an elevator. We're going to have outdoors. We're going to have a big giant underground hangar. We're going to have the interior of a spaceship, which is going to sound totally different from everything else. I
2: love that sound, uh, that yeah.
1: particular one. is Yeah. Great. Bart is really genius. Like, you know, the second a scene starts, but even before you hear any narration, you'll hear this on subsequent episodes. Before any, right when any scene starts, like, oh, I'm back in the spaceship. Because and nothing it's not, else sounds like that. It's not
2: goofy. It, you know, it doesn't, you know, sound like, like you beep, know. Beep, 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 yeah. Beep. Uh, but there there's. There's just this presence that isn't there in any of the other locations.
1: And there's like not to give away any plot points, but we have a um, there's a larger number of scenes as, as the podcast moves towards the end. It's a 14 episode miniseries. As the podcast moves towards the end, we have a lot more uh, exterior scenes. What I'm hoping the effect will be in terms of for the human ear is a sense of like um, a sense of danger and stakes ramping up the more exterior scenes there are. Where um, uh, a sense of unprotectedness and a sense of um, Uh, uh, I'm hoping that that will be an almost subconscious level of saying, okay, we're in a whole other arena of danger than the one we were in before. Um, So uh, right now it's just a a theory. We'll have to see if it bears out. But yeah, but that's um, sound, like your question about sounds that you don't really think about is like such a huge part of creating audio drama because so much of what makes the soundscapes credible are things that just... Things that never even crossed my mind even 18 months ago. Uh, the learning curve, I think, for all of us, is very steep in figuring out another medium.
2: There's also things like realizing that you're visualizing something different from what somebody else is envisioning. Like, I think I was envisioning a nicer bed than some than like, than like Bart was because I just kept saying, like, the bed is creaking too much. It shouldn't be cre-, like And so it was just clearly the bed in his mind was, like, a narrower mattress with these, like, Creaky springs, and it's like, and and I didn't know that I was envisioning something different until I heard it, and I was like, no, 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 that's not. And so then we have to have a discussion about like, what is this mattress like? What is this bed like? Um, and it makes you get really specific, which is really great.
0: I'm glad you brought that up because one of the things that I've been thinking about a lot, listening to Steel the Stars, is how, I mean, I'm, it makes me very sad to say this, but it's true. Like audience members' uh, attention spans have just been like decreasing oh, and like sure. people just like you know like oh a butterfly or a squirrel mm-hmm. <laughs> and many people are used to thinking that audio is some sort of like accompaniment you know like mm-hmm. you don't have to focus on audio like mm-hmm. you put on like Terry Gross I love Terry Gross <laughs> put on Terry Gross <laughs> <laughs> on the background while you're doing the dishes or like getting ready for work you put on the news on the radio you listen to music and do something else but you're asking people to focus on radio by doing this you're also Giving them the chance to imagine this world, which mm-hmm. I think is incredible, and I hope maybe I'm just being too much of a dreamer right now. But by doing this, you're also giving people the uh, the ability to to become co-creators mm-hmm. with you in a way.
2: Absolutely.
0: Yeah. So can, yeah, can you talk a little bit? I <laughs> about mean, I, about I, this? I
2: feel like we're experts in. Um, Unwilling audiences, because we made theater for a bunch of years, you know. So, like, so, or not unwilling, but like skeptical, like people kind of sitting there with their arms folded, saying, you know, prove to me that I have a good reason for being here. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm kind of fine with somebody starting not prepared to pay that much attention, because I think we'll draw them in, mm-hmm, um, yeah. and that's that's the goal.
1: Yeah, I, I think I think one ethos that we all, Jordan and I, but also like our, our recurring colleagues over the year, over the years. Um, I think one one kind of ethic that we all share is sort of um like we think it's on us. Uh, um we're we're we are very unwilling to ever say like it's the audience's fault for something or whatever. Like if we have people at like, your border or shifting or whatever, and I think our instinct is to kind of like regroup and say, Okay, what can we do to do that next time you know, to like grab those people even even better next time. I mean, like I think we all come from sort of a background of thinking, um uh it's maybe sort of the theater equivalent of the customer is always right or something like that (laughs) it's never like oh those jerks in the audience is always like well what else can we do because you can't pretend that people's attention spans aren't what they are you're absolutely right about you know what's happening and it's like and like we might decry it we might wish it wasn't happening but it's impossible but if if you want to engage with people, you have to acknowledge what's happening. You have to acknowledge that there is a, uh, a transformation in how we are all absorbing information. And if you want your stories to connect with people, you need to think about how to meet them halfway in that new paradigm. Um, it, it, it's interesting, I had a conversation over the weekend, um, Jordana and I both, and several friends and our spouse, we were up at a, at a, um, at a getaway, just like some friends, uh, 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 have have a house upstate and we were just hanging out with them and and, um, several folks there uh, hadn't seen in a long time and they had listened to the first episode of the podcast. And one of them said to me, um, he said, I actually about halfway through, I stopped it and started it over again. I said, why? He said, because he said, I realized I was listening to it like I listened to other stuff on the radio. He said, like, I normally I listen to stuff and it's okay if I only hear every fourth sentence. And he said, I realized that yours, I actually had to like stop, go back to the beginning and make the main thing I was doing, be listening to that. Like I could do this and that, but mainly, I. Do. and I, I said, I was just thinking out loud, I was, like, well, said, I was like, well, maybe that's actually not meeting radio listeners halfway. Maybe I need to find a way to write these stories that's a little more distended or with a little more air in it or with a little more, you know, to make it something that can be a little more casually listened to, but still absorbed. And he said, honestly, he said, "You know what? I, I actually preferred that I had to change what I was doing and um, and and listen to it again." Uh, he said, "I actually um, I actually wouldn't want you to make that change." I mean, I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm not saying that he'd be representative of everyone's reaction to it, but there's no doubt that the dense style of writing. That I developed in collaboration with Gideon Productions over many years in the theater when you know you're commanding people's attention for the whole time and you need to keep rewarding that attention with stimulus the whole time because they can't leave they can't go to whatever you need to really keep them entertained that like okay is that the right instinct for audio where very often your podcast might be being listened to by someone who's just running around their house doing chores <laughs> uh, but the problem of course is you know like I um, these kinds of stories, you do need that density of information. I don't actually know what I think about this issue yet. I think it might be a few more years of writing audio, putting it out there, processing people's reactions. There's another thing we were talking about on the same weekend was a lot of what I know about writing theater and a lot of what my colleagues know about producing, directing, mounting theater comes from just picking up a million tricks of the trade over a period of years like like, just uh, expertise that is accrued very slowly over a lot of trial and error. And what's really kind of intimidating to me, I know I'm not starting from zero with radio drama, but I do know that I haven't picked up like a decade's worth of things that like 10 years from now I'll be like, oh, you can't write radio drama unless you know that trick and that trick and that trick. Right now I don't know any of those tricks. Uh, <laughs> so figuring out the best way to write stories that like are are, that are like a way that I would enjoy writing them and enjoy telling them but that also recognize the reality in which they're meeting people's ears um, I'm still figuring that out and I think overall with audio drama we're still figuring out the culture of how people are listening to it because people listen to it in lots of in, in lots of different ways the one advantage we have is that we can get stories to people who um, in, in ways that TV and film can't just in that they can listen to it while they're washing the dishes, while they're commuting, while they're doing stuff that really needs their eyes. Uh, we can still get stories to them. Uh, uh, that, that That's the biggest way that we can compete with it. And then of course, as you said, it, it, it makes the audience collaborators in a way that no other medium does. Uh, the, the audience, does all the work of devising the visuals based on suggestive cues that we generate through dialogue and sound design so you can't beat it but i honestly don't know what the best way is to like deal with the fact that when you're listening to Terry Gross you're totally right you you can get the gist of the whole thing even if you only hear about 75% of it <laughs> and right and steel of the stars is so tightly packed with information you can't listen to 75% of it i don't 100% know if that's the right way to go yet I, and i don't know if i'll know for years
2: I think there's a certain kind of attention that comes with a mindless task, though, that um, for me, maybe because I'm just a restless person, but if I'm folding laundry or if I'm on the subway, um, I feel like that's when I do some of my best listening because my hands are busy or there are, there, it's, it's like white noise or whatever um, that creates just enough outside stuff that, that I can sort of calm down and, and really take whatever I'm listening to in.
1: Oh yeah, that so. is a good point. I listen to lots of radio drama and I always listen to it while I'm doing a thing, mm. walking somewhere, doing a chore on this way, whatever. And it's, it's, I, I totally agree with that. The, the, the adding of a task to it means that any fidgetiness I might have, like while watching TV or something like that, that's all gone. That energy is all being eaten up. So it leaves all the attention to focus on the story that, yeah. And that's probably uh, audio drama experience. at its best.
0: Right. Cause, uh, I mean, I would probably be terrified of... I haven't listened to it while walking out in the street because I would be, like, terrified of being, like, hit by a car because it's New York and everyone's crazy. But one of the, the most random places where I've found that listening to the podcast works at its best is underwater.
1: <laughs> interesting. Ooh, when tell, I go, tell yeah, me more.
0: When I go swimming, I have an underwater MP3 player. so That's I so cool. I put all my podcasts in there, and just, like, the sound of the water and just, like, the calm... Because, you know, like, swimming's amazing, but it's really boring. Yeah. So, like, when you're by, like, the 25th lap, you're like, oh, God, I want to I wanna stop, but, you know, it's good for you. So listening to podcasts underwater is my, you know, like gold tip of the year oh
2: my god i want now i want to i want you to write a thing that like that's like a Twenty Thousand leagues under the sea like in a submersible Uh like some kind of undersea thing that is specifically for
1: swimmers to listen to that's that's so cool i've never heard of it i didn't know there was an underwater like earbud that function it's
0: insane yeah it's it's incredible so if you could be and i want you to be as decadent as you can right now so if you could imagine like envision like the ultimate way to listen to not only steal the stars, but your favorite podcasts. What's the, What does the scenario look like? Is it folding laundry? <laughs> no,
2: any. It's. I mean, I think it's the portability. I mean, I. Uh, it's that. It's the folding laundry or your walk f- from the train or being on the train. It's, it's so. It's so great, especially after, so many years of doing theater, and, and how hard it is to get a person in the door. And knowing what a big ask that is. And, you know, feeling like we make it worth their while and doing everything we can to make it worth their while, but knowing that's a huge commitment, that's a huge leap of faith for someone to go and say, you know, for 90 minutes or longer perhaps, Mm -hmm. uh, I'm going to go in this place, I'm going to sit in a chair, I'm not allowed to leave, and I can't eat noisy things. Um, So I, I feel really great that we've made a thing that can come to you where you are I have, I have an old friend from australia who is listening to this mm. uh and you know my, the, my favorite babysitting charge from you know when i was a teenager is listening to this and she lives in a, a another city and it's really it's exciting for me to be able to share something that we made um with faraway people
1: yeah that's like, like i said uh, like i said probably theater will be my first love my whole life uh but i it feels like every couple of years, technology makes theater feel more onerous to people. Like it wasn't just people. Like oh, I think some people incorrectly thought. Okay, well, radio drama will kill theater, and then TV will kill theater, movies will kill theater, whatever, uh, uh, and none of them did. And I don't think anything will. But I think what I think there's been a unique challenge in the form of streaming and on-demand entertainment because. Um, what, what streaming and on demand have, have removed is not just, oh, there's this, you know, there's this other form of storytelling that's like glitzy or flashy or whatever, uh, or, or it's in your house or whatever, but streaming and on demand have utterly, ha- have basically taught people you shouldn't have to be in a certain place at a certain time. And I think it's made theater seem like more of an unreasonable ask than ever before, where they're like, <laughs> I. It, w- I really like to watch like one third of a movie before bed, one third when I first wake up in the morning and then one third on my phone on the way to work because that way I can fit it into my day. I can see that movie and maybe I don't have that much spare time theater. You know, you got to get there with all that other stuff. You know, maybe you have to get babysitting, maybe you have to, um, uh, and, and, and you have to get there and you have to go home afterwards. It's a giant chunk of time that more and more people aren't used to setting aside that giant chunk of time. Uh, so more and more, in order for theater to, you know, uh, uh, be a draw to people, it has to feel like a unique event. It has to, be able to feel like be- people are really getting some kind of unique value for leaving their houses. Uh, uh, and, and it has definitely been pleasurable to us to be able to get stories out without making that ask every single time. Mm-hmm. I doubt we'd ever completely leave theater behind, but there is a certain thing of like, it is cool to be able to have some stories to be like, listen at your own pace, listen whenever you want to, and um uh and 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 set your own schedule around following the story because it's not going to close you don't have to get to uh, uh you know whatever you don't have to you don't have to to, to get to uh, uh, the judson church by april 17th or you'll <laughs> never get to see the thing or whatever and the other thing too is the uh, in terms of you saying like decadent listening experience i have a I have uh, the most expensive thing that I have bought, other than plane tickets or <laughs> the occasional meal in years, is uh, uh, my I, I have these, uh, head, these are the Bose headphones. They're noise canceling headphones, um, and I absolutely love them. Even I be mean, wearing them in summer, even though like it's they, they cut off so much of my skin <laughs> when I'm walking around like uh, uh, But um, because uh, when when you set on the noise cancelers, you can hear every. That's my decadent favorite way of listening. Uh, that I would, in some dream world, I wish everybody could, because you can hear every part of the sound design with that. You can hear every tiny little detail of the soundscape because the world is kind of being blotted out. You do have to remember to, like, turn that off at intersections and stuff like (laughs) that because you'll totally step in front of a car. But uh, but it's it's, it's just a wonderful, fantastic way of listening to radio drama because you pick up every single thing. But I have to be mindful of the fact that the vast majority of listeners are not going to be listening to like 200 plus dollar headphones when they listen to the story. And so you need to make sure that the like the five or six primary sounds that you're trying to get out in any particular minute, that those totally register and that maybe the distant siren can't be essential to the story. (laughs) Uh, The distant siren is just a little something extra for people who happen to be under the right circumstances of listening. So uh, yeah, that's something I try to keep in mind.
0: So after people become addicted to see the stars, what are some other radio plays that you guys love that you would like to recommend?
2: Well, definitely Max other two, The Message and Life After, are great. Oh um, yeah,
1: yeah, definitely. <laughs>
2: Within the Wires is really good.
1: Yeah, I love that one. Um, well yeah, because there's, there's a lot of podcast dramas in there and there's a lot of really wonderful, um, you know, because in the UK they never stopped making radio drama, and so there's just a huge backlog of those. There's a um, there's a wonderful uh, a subscription feed on on podcasts um uh called uh, uh uh i think it's called the weekly drama where you get a, a bbc radio 4 uh play every friday uh, you know pre- they're performed by amazing people lots of different kinds of plays i definitely recommend that but in terms of specifics uh, uh yeah I, I i really from um the the welcome to nightville people have a couple of really wonderful spin-offs within the wires and um and Alice isn't dead. And then um, uh, I've gotten really engrossed recently in, in a bunch of uh, 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 Archive 81, uh, 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 the, the Bright Sessions, um, what else? There's been uh, the, the Black Tapes. Uh, um, there's, there's like a whole bunch of genre podcasts in the United States. Um, the big Finnish company that makes um, a lot of cult audios from TV shows. Uh, that are no longer around but the actors are still alive and they still kind of sound like they did before. Uh, um, they make really wonderful like new Doctor Who stories with the original actors or uh, 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 new um, uh, survivors stories like that they, they make a lot of really high quality audio. Um, uh, but I'm trying to think of particular uh, uh, well, there's, series. Well, there's
2: one thing that's not exactly an audio drama, but Mac and I both enjoy My Dad Wrote a Porno. Have you ever listened to that? I have not. <laughs> it is amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, this guy's dad wrote these um, kind of really awkward um, erotic novels, and so he reads them, and he, he and his two friends make fun of them. Oh my um, God.
0: Wait, is it the guy who lived like, in a cabin somewhere? Because I, I read the book.
2: You read the my dad wrote a porno book. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
0: oh, oh, he reads the actual pornos. He yes. He
2: uh, yeah. And and they read
1: them and comment on them hilariously. It's like it's basically like a like a riff tracks or a mystery science theater three thousand, but about this book and they uh, and they make funny comments as it goes along. It's enormously enjoyable. Um,
2: That's a great one for doing listening to while you're doing, you know other things because <laughs>
0: those were like genre pornos right like alien porno no and no like
2: no this is this is just well it's sort of genre if like she's like a saleswoman so it's i guess business porn <laughs> <laughs>
1: it is really funny it is uh, yeah um there's a big uh, epic of uh, that, that director i worked with on life after john dryden he made a big uh uh, uh epic historical podcast called two bay uh, uh that you could subscribe to. Uh, um, there's a really charming um, YA, young, young Adult Story podcast called, uh, um, the un- let me make sure I get this title right The Unexplainable Disappearance of Mars Patel. Does that sound right? Uh, yeah, uh, I'm not um, sure
2: about the first word, but the rest of it's, it's definitely. Un- it's
1: Because I, I thought it was unexplained, and then I looked at it and said unexplainable or something like that. It's not
2: inexplicable?
1: maybe it isn't it's it's
2: a it's something surprising about it's the definitely disappearance. Mars yeah. yeah
1: and it's and that's and it's but it's more targeted for younger people but it's beautifully made and really charmingly written and i've really been uh, uh, getting into that of late um so yeah there's there's a lot of really great stuff to explore like um then and, and there is a you for example if you go into itunes there is a specific like radio drama tab uh where you can go on and oh um the truth podcast. They're not an ongoing series. They're an anthology show. Uh, they do, or they do a new story every couple of weeks. But the the, the the audio soundscape production is always exquisite, and the stories are always very imaginative. And I definitely uh, I recommend that one to people. I'm sure there's a million more that I'm blanking on right now because we've all been trying to really familiarize ourselves with that form to try to basically, we're tr- basically trying to teach ourselves that form in a in a, in a really heightened, super fast <laughs> way. It, because like we all learned about theater gradually over a period of years, like watching plays. Reading plays, working on plays, making mistakes, dusting ourselves off, getting back up and trying again or whatever. And it's really hard to, um, there's a definitely, there's almost like a feeling of like panic of trying to. Um, trying to attain the same expertise in a much shorter period of time I feel like I'm just trying to cram radio drama into my ears to learn everything I can It's, uh, 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 but it's, it's totally not the same as like when you've just sort of lived your life around theater and the stuff you pick up without even thinking about it
2: but we're also really we, we're really lucky in our partnerships um, mm. you know Sean who's my husband who's the producer who we've worked with for mm. many years he has a, a long history in audio he mostly in recording uh, educational music mm. but he knows audio uh, from way back and partnering with uh, Tor and Macmillan mm. has been huge because Macmillan has you know the sort of business of podcasting down so they are making sure that we're being smart in that way and then um, Jen Gunnels and Marco Palmieri at Tor labs are are sort of sci-fi bona fides mm-hmm, yeah so you know we're, we're not out there alone <laughs> We you know we have uh, we're all sort of making sure we're all you know kind of looking out for each other and making sure that we don't make any big mistakes I think
1: yeah that, I mean obviously it's the age old J- jordan has got it exactly right it's the age old story of, of the arts is basically you just you need to have a lot of help <laughs> you need, and, 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 uh, uh, any collaborative art form or really any solo art form you know novelists have editors yeah you really basically need to let you you basically need to reach out widely for a lot of help for a lot of people who have a lot of different kinds of knowledge. I know one thing Sean will always hit on that just like. It just Jordan and I don't have the instinct for Jordan and I don't have the instinct for yet, which is like a lot of times we'd be like, guys, we need to redo that that last line of the scene because that's going to be the last line of the episode, so it needs to have kind of a button on it, or that's the last or the commercial line of the theme or, yeah. is coming in, like it, that needs to feel like that thing. Whereas we're just thinking purely about the scene, we're just thinking purely about the character dynamics. And Sean, in his mind, is sewing the thing together in his head. He's seeing it as, as, a, as an audio experience that's edited together from several parts. He's going, no, 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 for this thing to go into this thing, this part right here needs to sound in such a way. And uh, I, over time, we may develop those instincts, but I think right now, we're just used to figuring out the character dynamics in, in the moment and, uh, uh, and trying to build that. So, so you need lots of help from a lot of different people Uh, the the ads you talked about like we knows so much about the the business of it I'm in my head I was like okay we're going to do the podcast we're going to write it record it do all the post-production that's going to be all the hard work and then the ads will be that little thing that we have to do at the end but now when we've started recording them oh my god i was like no that's not some little bit of frippery that we're going to do at the end that's like how the bills get paid that's like we have to do that right
2: you actually we- cooked a meal yesterday
1: well, yes because one of the sponsors was uh, is plated that does like with those one of those companies that sends you the the whole thing um and uh, uh and i was like well i can't it, i i can't go on and like lie about that time i prepared a plated meal because it'll be obvious i won't sound right with any of the stuff so i actually buckled down and like made one uh that was terrifying i mean they, they I, i'm not going to be getting to plugging products in your show but fortunately they fortunately they it is correct that it, they make it very easy on you and i didn't have a disaster despite the fact that i prepared <laughs> it entirely by myself like my wife just got home right when i was done you know so like uh, I was scared the whole time, but it did work. Yeah. But yeah, you, you, in order to do those right, uh, because that's where you know, that's what um, underwrites the process and what makes it possible to remunerate the artists involved, It's what makes it possible to do another one. You have to take that very seriously and do a good job of it. So there's a whole lot of skills that we're just sort of kind of trying to develop uh, 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 you know, from the ground up right now try, uh, um, uh, and, and, and kind of get up to speed on Um, some of which our theater experiences feed into very helpfully, some of which we're just like immediately just diving in and trying to master I mean, there's a lot about it that's new that's exciting too, but it all can be frightening sometimes.
2: The thing that kills me though is like when you do a play, you can sit in the back corner and you can watch people, and you can see just in the way their body shifts. Like you know when you've lost them a little bit, and you can learn from that. And it just it kills me that I can't follow people around <laughs> and like watch them listen and see like what's working and what isn't. Um, because I I hadn't realized how much I relied on that input of like what it feels like to be in the room with the audience and how you can as you get gain experience, you can get a sense of what's going to work and what isn't you don't really fully know until you're watching with the audience. And I hate that I can't do that with this. Um.
1: (laughs) Yes, that's, yeah, that's exactly right. And it is, it is a weird kind of creation because you totally don't know exactly what the interaction's gonna be. With theater, you always know. Uh, uh, You know, you know, you don't know what's gonna happen, but you know the circumstances under which it'll happen. In this one, there's so many ways people could be listening. We'll never think of all of them. We just learned about that underwater thing <laughs> right. today, so like uh, uh, changes yeah, everything. There's a lot of flying blind, is like because yeah, because we don't know. We we're missing that one ingredient of how is the story to audience moment going to happen, and how can we optimize it? We'll just never be there. We'll just never know. Hmm. I mean,
2: we can learn from how we listen, um, mm, and I and true. I definitely listen to things, and I try to notice. How I'm listening and, and notice what's grabbing me and notice what's bugging me, um, but yeah, it's kind of a message in a bottle. You know, you just you send it out into the world and you hope it lands and you know you hope the water didn't get in and make the text all run together so nobody can <laughs> read it anymore or you know whatever that metaphor wants to go.
1: And what one thing you do get for podcasts that you do, that you don't get from that you don't get from indie theater. I'm saying it's different with, with Broadway, but it, we've never worked there or anywhere close. But like. You, you, you get the podcast out into the world, one thing you can get is a very unfiltered set of reactions to it. You go into social media, you search the show, you can you can get you get like you when you do an indie theater play like people might say some critical stuff about it online but it's always gonna be slightly tempered by the fact that they might meet you at some point in the next couple months they might run into you on the street they might run into you at another show or whatever everything is written with the knowledge that you that you might run across this person uh, people listening to podcasts—they don't expect to ever meet podcasters, <laughs> and they will say anything they want about the show. So, in a certain way, like if you—you you, got to gird your loins a little bit. You got to take a deep breath before you go into Twitter and name search your show because, you, uh, 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 I remember with the message. Um, uh, but uh, uh, I went on to uh, Tumblr and I searched the message podcast for the tags, uh, and I came across something written by somebody in Seattle. They'd listened to the finale, uh, and the title of the post was the last episode of the message is smelly butts and they wrote a whole uh, thing about how bad the last episode of the message was. And I was reading it and I was like, oh man, this person really hated it. But there's a part of me is like, I think because, I think because it took me so long to have something like that, that was that widely distributed that I, because of so much of my life, my stuff went out to the same like 500 people or whatever. I think there was a part of me was like, man, if I was 24 and read this, I would have to take to my bed. <laughs> but the fact that I was like 40 and I was reading it, I was like, you know what? I am so psyched that some dude in Seattle is that mad about the last episode of that thing. I was like, you know what? I need to understand that I'm lucky to be getting reactions because there was a time not very long ago when there was just nothing like that going on. <laughs> you gotta, you got to know to be grateful if people are paying attention at all.
2: And there's specifically a thing with sci-fi audiences uh, that they love to tear things apart or they love to find the logical hole um, and that – because it's, it's part of world building and it's part of checking world building. So, so you know, we do what we can and we check each other. Um, but we know that somebody's going to find something that's like, well, if you pay attention to episode three, when you get to episode nine, it, 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 there's a logical fallacy. And, but it's kind of what you hope for. Like you mm-hmm. hope that somebody is listening closely enough that they're angry at you.
1: Yeah, they, they, that they're willing to pick it apart. Yeah, yeah, because then you know you've got them. You know they're invested.
0: That sounds stressful, so I hope... <laughs> I, <laughs> it is stressful. I, yeah, I hope break a leg also applies for radio play, so break a leg. Sure, thank us. you. Break a leg sound, I guess. So thank you for, for being here. Thank we you loved you. Real it. Real pleasure. Thank, thank you so much you. for having us. Thank you so much for joining us for today's episode of the Maximum Theater and Performance Podcast. If you have questions, comments, or opinions that are different from our own, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Twitter at Maximum. Mac Rogers is at writes And Jordana Williams is at The Jordi Will. I am José Solís Mayen. If you enjoy the show, please leave a rating and review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And we have merch. You can buy coffee mugs, tote bags, and stickers with your favorite maximoisms. You can get to the store via Maximo.com. All proceeds go to helping the podcast improve our sound quality. Gracias.
2: Theatrical media.